Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to Queering the Air. You're listening on 855 AM or 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us today. Um, as always, we'd like to kick off the show by acknowledging that 3CR broadcasts from land stolen from the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. My name is Jessie and I'm in the studio today with the lovely Nikki. Hello. Um, and today we have a very exciting show for you. Uh, today we're talking all about literature. Basically, we're celebrating um, the fact that I've read three books this year, which is three more than I've read in the last decade. It's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> Thank you. It I is. appreciate it. Yeah. And we're going to be talking all about um, queer books. We're going to be covering um, some graphic novels, uh, a couple of tomes and memoirs. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a real book club. It is going to be a real yeah. book club. Do you read? You you read. Do I read? Do you read? Do I read? Nikki reads. She's better uh, than I am. No, I don't really. I don't really I don't read. I mean, I can read. We're literate. We're I, functionally yeah. literate. Yeah. But, you know, reading for pleasure, no. Mm. I mean, I want to say yes. I do it some... Actually, I did read a book recently, um, you know, which was a real accomplishment. <laughs> I know. We've gotten to that age. <laughs> yeah. We're in our mid-twenties now. Where, um, God, we're so old. We're the so mid-twenties. But um, where we start to be really proud of ourselves for doing the tiniest things that functioning yeah. adults. I did my washing recently. That was huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I read two books. One was a children's, I can't even call it a novel. It was a children's book. A Wrinkle in Time, right? Yeah. Which um, had been inspired by the recent Matthew McConaughey film. Was it Interstellar? Interstellar. Where there's a a tesseract. And I've been told that there's a good description of a tesseract in that book. And I was like, how come I never read this book when I was a child? Now's the time. Turns out it's heavily religious. But Oh, what a shame. Well, similarly, and also Matthew McConaughey related, I um, watched Magic Mike last night. (gasps) Oh, wait, one or two? One. Oh, thank God. Okay. And it was terrible. Yeah, I a, hated it. Yeah, I'm not. It's a McConaughey bad movie. though. McConaughey held up that movie with his little like yeah. T-Rex posture, the gold, the full gold yeah. body paint. Yeah. Yeah. As our um, lovely friend Luke said, we've all got our Halloween costumes lined up for this year. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, should we listen to another literary song? Let's listen to another literary song. Okay. The one we're going to listen to now is a Björk song, I believe, or maybe it's not. I don't know what the song is. <laughs> Let's listen to it and find out. <laughs> it's not. Hi, and welcome back to Queering the Air. You just heard Neutral Milk Hotel with Holland 1945, a song that was based on the diary of Anne Frank. And today we're going to be hearing all literature-themed songs throughout the hour uh, because today we're doing a little book club episode and the first uh you might have gotten a hint from the amazing first song that we opened with today which was of course the babysitters club theme really defines an era it really defines yeah. an era in my life where every bookshelf was wall-to-wall yeah. babysitters club <laughs> baby baby <laughs> language <laughs> warning club uh, 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 baby 
Sitters yeah. Club books. Uh, I even read the spin-offs. I was so devoted. I hated the Little Sister series, but I read yeah. them. I definitely read them. Such a Claudia. You are a real Claudia. I am a real Claudia. I like that you said that. And I know that there's like an element of racial profiling in there, but I also just will take it because she was my favorite one. Um, speaking of babies, one of the books that we're going to talk about today is Pregnant Butch, Nine Long Months Spent in Drag by A.K. Summers. So this is a graphic memoir um, that I first heard it's about. Just very explicit? or Yeah. yeah. It's just a very graphic. <laughs> Out of all of the books that I've read, it's memoir. the least graphic, I have okay, to say. Okay. Um, so there might be some language warnings coming up later in the show, everyone. Um, but Pregnant Butch is basically um, A.K. Summers' uh, account of her pregnancy with her first child and um, she is a butch identified lesbian and I first heard about this book on um, the great podcast The Shortest Longest Time which is all about child rearing and families and our beautiful uh, friend Luke recommended this episode uh, to me and to my partner because we're just brimming with hormones at the moment. <laughs> is Luke just at home listening to Childering podcasts? No, I, I mean, think there are a few episodes. There are a few episodes of this podcast um, that are real heartbreakers. There's this one, um, and there's also uh, another two called Accidental Gay Parents. Um, mm-hmm. And so the podcast is actually really good because it uh, sheds a lot of light on um, family arrangements that maybe aren't heteronormative or aren't uh, typically seen in the media. So Accidental Gay Parents I also really recommend because it's a total heartbreaker, those two episodes. But um, the interview that they did on the show with A.K. Summers was really interesting and really caught my eye because she spoke a lot about being lesbian identified and being masculine identified um, and not trans and how um, how she felt about being pregnant, which is which is really in mass media and in heteronormative discourse, a very feminizing experience, you know, and she talked about everything down to the clothes, you know, the floaty Mm. maxi dresses or like the stretchy baby bump display clothes. And there's a great bit in this book where she talks about um, feeling like finally she'll be able to get into overalls. She was like, I've been waiting my whole life to make overalls a thing. Like I always was trying to figure out like, how am I going to like make overalls a thing and suspend as a thing? I've always wanted to try them. Being pregnant is the perfect opportunity because you need to get your pants down fast, but none of your pants (laughs) stay up the way that they should because your waistband's all different. Okay. Yeah. And then she realized now I have ginormous breasts and suspenders look ridiculous over the top of them. Do they go on the inside? Do they go on the outside? Do they just like cover the nips? Classic conundrum. Classic conundrum. So it's a really great um, graphic novel. I really, really liked Pregnant Bush. I found it very, very charming and um, I enjoyed uh, all of the things she talked about um, in relation to passing, I think were really interesting as well. She talked about for a, a good part of her pregnancy, being read as an overweight man when she was um, on the subway rather than being read as a pregnant butch lesbian because it just wasn't in people's uh, visual vocabulary. People just hadn't really experienced that before. And it was a really interesting, it was a really, really interesting, great book. I really liked it. That's so crazy to think like, you know, how entrenched these gendered ideas are that you would see someone who's like, Otherwise, you would say obviously pregnant mm. and be like, but that couldn't be the case. That's, yeah. It is really interesting. And I think that, uh, you see it with a lot of the panic that people, the, 
you know, the moral outrage and panic that people have around trans men uh, being pregnant as well, which, of course, was that huge thing on Oprah about... Oh, yeah, pregnant dad. Probably like 10 years ago now. Yeah, it was but, a really long time ago. But, um, you know, the moral panic about people with uh, male presenting people or men or queer men having pregnant bodies, I think, uh, really, really destabilizes people's ideas about gender and sexuality and gender presentation and really freaks them out. Why are people, like, why are people panicked by this though? Like, what is the underlying, like, fear? Well, it's interesting. I'm not really sure of it. I think that it's, uh, I think that it, pregnancy is so commonly equated with, uh, essential womanhood. You know, mm. it plays very much into, uh, Western society's ideas of how a woman's body should function, what it should function for, and what a woman's social function is. Um, and if you have somebody who destabilizes uh, the way that you read their gendered body mm. by presenting as butch but being a woman mm. or by having um, been assigned ma- um, be assigned female at birth and then uh, – and then becoming a man, that already is like a point of tension for some people. Mm. They find it difficult to comprehend and that is already a point of destabilization. But then I think that the pregnant queer body then sort of raises the stakes so much because it's like, but this is how life is created. This is everything about how women are meant to be socially, how they're meant mm-hmm. to be aesthetically, how they're meant to be physically. Um, and it really freaks people out. And I'm, I mean, and it was really interesting from this book because she talked about how it freaked her out as well. And she, she freaked out about, um, about the, the process of giving birth and needing other people's help and, and going to yoga class that that was all geared towards feminine women with their male partners and all this sort of stuff. Male and it was partners really have really to come interesting. To yoga class, or they they, they um, go to a prenatal uh, oh, yoga yeah, yeah, class, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. in this, oh, okay. and some sort of birthing courses and stuff like that. So I found it a very very interesting account of um, pregnancy. And for someone as clucky as I am at the moment, I really loved it. <gasps> okay, <laughs> I'm like okay, enough. But let's move away from that. Okay, um, uh. but it was also terrifying, and the account of giving birth was also terrifying, and so that steered me away. So maybe it was a point all in you all but i very much enjoyed don't talk it about much it's always like it's a beautiful process mm. like creating life but like the the ripping and tearing part yeah the, like bleeding and the, i mean people like it's painful but that's sort of like i feel like you just don't get much more detail i remember yeah. the day when i was like in my teens or something that i found out that like you will poop in front of a room of st- like strangers <laughs> and just being like it had never even occurred. Yeah. Mm. Like no one, no one shares this information. Right. Anyway. And that's sort of the, the weird catch 22 about pregnancy as well is that, uh, the way that, uh, I think mainstream heteronormative society looks at pregnant women is, a, is very feminized, but very sterile. It sort of fetishizes pregnancy, but at the same time says like, tuck away all the disgusting, gross, functional parts of pregnancy. And I've, I found AK Summer's account of giving birth really great as well because she talked about feeling sort of the opposite of someone who is stereotypically feminized. At the end, she felt uh, really masculine. She felt like a, a prize fighter, you know, in the mm. corner of the ring with like burst capillaries and all sweaty and, you know, with this baby suckling on one teat as she's <laughs> slung over the corner of the ring. And it's really great. Um, so I highly recommend Pregnant Butch. Mm-hmm. Um, you can definitely order it online. And so that's by AK Summers.
Cool. Um, so the song that we heard before we heard Jesse talking about Pregnant Butch was Neutral Milk Hotel's 1945. And now we're going to hear the song that we had hoped we would hear first. But uh, it's a yes. good one. By This is by yeah. Björk. So this is Sonnet's Unrealities uh, 11, if I can read Roman numerals right. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope... Only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hand. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. Is something worrying you? Need someone to talk to? Having trouble at work or at home? Call WIRE Women's Information on 1300 134 130 Monday to Friday 9am to 5pm. Talk to a woman who cares. It's free and confidential Victoria-wide. You can talk to us about anything. You can also talk to us in your own language through our telephone interpreter service. So call WIRE on 1300 134 130 or visit wire.org.au. WIRE is a 3CR supporter. Hey, and welcome back to Queering the Air on 3CR. I'm Jessie, and I'm in the studio with Nikki. Hello. And today we are doing Queer Book Club. So we just spoke a little bit about Pregnant Butch by A.K. Summers, and we just heard Björk's Sonnet Unrealities 11, which is uh, based off the E.E. E. Cummings uh Poem of the same name, and I came so close to saying Alan Cummings just then. <laughs> he has a memoir that's out at the moment, and I oh. haven't read it, but apparently it's great. So I believe that. I'm very keen to check that out. But um, 
at the moment we're going to talk about a totally different book, a fictional memoir, and this is um, a book called The Inner Circle by T.C. Boyle. Um, and T.C. Boyle is one of my favourite writers at the moment. This is the first novel of his that I had read, but um, I really, really love his collection of short stories, uh, Tooth and Claw. And if you're curious about T.C. Boyle's work, um, one of those stories I think was most recently uh, read on the New Yorker Fiction podcast. So I highly recommend that. But T.C. Boyle is a great American writer. And The Inner Circle is a fictionalized account of uh, a researcher in Alfred Kinsey's uh, research team uh, mm-hmm. in the, I think, 40s and 50s. So um, so Alfred Kinsey, um, if you haven't heard of him, um, he was a sex researcher and uh, responsible most famously uh, for his uh, volumes on uh, male and female sexual behaviour and for the Kinsey scale, which um, I believe rates uh, people on a scale of zero to seven on... Um, homosexual to heterosexual. Or is it to six? Who knows? Whatever. It's a scale. Look, there are numbers involved. It's fluid. What am I, a doctor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. I barely made it through this book because it was more than 400 pages and hardcover. So okay. my arms were tired and my eyes are tired. So it's a real contrast from the graphic novel that we've A real contrast. A yeah, real contrast yeah. and a real contrast from the short stories as well because, like I said, I really love T.C. Boyle's short stories and I did find that this book was a little sluggish, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if that's because I have an incredibly low attention span Mm-hmm. Or because I was just like, oh, domestic dramas. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. Um, so it, it's basically the account of um, a, a researcher called John Milk and um, his relationship with uh, Alfred Kinsey or um, Proc for Professor K um, in this book. So um, Nikki is now going to read out a little section. Clear the voice. Oh, the voice, clear the throat. Okay. Um, so, while he wor- while we worked, Proc talked of only one thing, sex, and particularly of the H-story histories he was collecting not only in Chicago and Indianapolis now, but in New York as well. He was moved almost to tears by the accounts of sex offenders he'd interviewed in prison, people incarcerated for common acts that happened to run afoul of the antiquated laws of record, and who were prosecuted almost arbitrarily, like the South Bend man jailed for having received oral sex from his wife, or rather ex-wife, and on her report, or the many homosexual couples ferreted out and exposed by vindictive spouses, parents, small-town police. Coitus out of wedlock was universally banned, masturbation illegal, sodomy a felony in most states. You know, he told me, and he told me more than once, making his case, already preparing the next lecture in his head. It's utterly absurd. It's got to the point where if all the sex laws on the books were rigorously prosecuted, some 85% of the adult populace would be behind bars. Yep, and that's from The Inner Circle by T.C. Boyle, beautifully read by Nikki. Evocative, if I do say so myself. <laughs> um, so... It's it's an account of a very, very different time from the one that we in Australia live in now and uh, from the one that exists in America where obviously gay uh, marriage was just legalised in all states. Um, and it, it's a, the book details uh, John Milk and his relationship with Proc and with the other researchers in the team and with his wife Iris and their, um, and their family. And... It sort of detail, it, it details a very different version of 
sexuality than I think we're used to um, in queer communities, in mainstream gay communities and in uh, heteronormative society as well. Mm-hmm. This idea, uh, Alfred Kinsey's idea of sexuality as being something that's really naturalized but also sort of pathologized as well because he's a sex researcher. He talks a lot about biological functions and everything mm-hmm. being um, – you know, and lots of like penguins having sex with each other all the time and, and how, you know, all these sorts of, and monkeys do it. And this sort of idea that all sexual activity is permissible because all of it's natural. Okay. Um, and that coming into conflict with the social mores of the time and the actual desires of the people, uh, involved. So, uh, in this book, um, John Milk has a, a sexual relationship with Proc in addition to his sexual relationship with his wife. And he also has a sexual relationship with Proc's wife, Mac. And there's this, this tension all the while because you get this feeling that, uh, John really does believe that everything is natural and therefore is okay, but keeps running into, um, into trouble where that belief comes into conflict with his relationship with his wife or whether or not he actually wants to be having sex with Proc or that he's doing it because it's something that Proc wants to do Mm -hmm. or whether he really does desire Proc's wife. And, um, yeah, it was really curious. Yeah. 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 And I really liked it. It was very, it was very unsettling because it, it did, uh, because at this time, uh, the sexual identities, I think, as we know them today, mm. uh, weren't so solidified. You know, people ne- didn't necessarily identify as, um, or at least in this book, aren't, aren't identified as gay people or straight people or bisexual people. There's a lot of freedom in that, I think, in just being like, you know, I, I safely identify as well, heterosexual, I guess, in this example, because that's just what is dictated. And what I do is just what I do. And that has absolutely nothing to do with, like a core identity or anything. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting this like um like the tension between like taking well, I mean, it's sounds sort of paternalistic to say like taking responsibility for your actions, but but like yeah, as you say like doing things cuz it's natural and you desire to do it and also like the repercussions in terms of like your personal relationships and things like that. I think that definitely in the queer scene it's like a weird sometimes I think that there is um an expectation that you must sort of like break outside of conventional sexual bounds. Mm. Um you know, I mean everything's sex pause so only do what you want, but there's also this expectation that like obviously you'll at least try being non-monogamous and obviously like if you deal with jealousy because you're in a non-monogamous relationship that's on you and you need to work through that and like you know you're held you know captive by you know patriarchal heteronormative like society um but in so many ways i find that like it's just so dismissive it's like oh we've decided or we've uncovered that like you know there are other ways to live or other ways to be and so now we are all liberated and like absolutely we can do what we want yeah and and it's and and that sort of uh that that sort of um the pinnacle of that sort of thinking dismisses people's social agency and dismisses um, their social interests. And that certainly comes up in the book a lot. You know, Professor Kinsey constantly is talking about how they all have to be, um, they all have to be upstanding citizens so that, um, so that the research is never dismissed by the media or dismissed by the public. But at mm-hmm. the same time, they all have to be incredibly sexually liberated so that, you know, so that then 
they're in line with the ideological purpose yeah. of the research it's as just, well. Yeah. And, um, and that definitely does come in conflict with the characters lots of times where they feel like they, where, you know, where sexual dalliances are arranged mm. by Kinsey among different people who aren't necessarily that willing yeah. to participate. It's just a different kind of sexual policing. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I definitely do see the parallel with perhaps some of the more, well, it's, I suppose it's peer pressure, but, um, yeah. <laughs> it's good old fashioned peer pressure. Read about that in the babysitters club. All the cool club. kids are doing it. <laughs> Literally. I do, I, I do definitely see a parallel with, um, with queer, with, with the queer social circles that I've moved in, in the past with this idea that everybody must be sexually liberated and they have to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in yeah. front of us right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I do, did really, really like the inner circle as well. It was a slog of you for me, but, um, you know, I'm very intellectually constrained when it comes to long books. So don't undersell yourself. You know what you are. You're an editor. So you're probably like, <laughs> there's a little too much fat to this, which is fair. You know, well, actually, no, T.C. Boyle, I think, is a very efficient and very elegant writer, um, which is something that I maybe can't say so much about the next book we're going to talk about. But um, that was The Inner Circle by T.C. Boyle. And now I think cool. we're going to go to listen to a quick tune. Yes, we're going to be listening to 1984 by David Bowie. Welcome to Queering the Air. Uh, my name's Jessie. I'm in the studio with Nikki. Hello. And today we are doing Queer Book Club. Yeah. You just heard Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit, one of my favourite songs. I highly recommend everybody go watch the Woodstock footage for it because I work from home, so I have a lot of time to do that sort of thing. <laughs> just like watch it and then email you because yeah. you're working from home. Or... Oh, I just mean that I recommend oh. it. I love it because I have time to go through like all of Woodstock footage on YouTube. <laughs> go watch it. I work from home. Tell Let me, what me you know. Think. We can yeah. have a coffee. I'll give you my card. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, today we're talking all about queer literature and um, I just read uh, – Holding the Man, perhaps Australia's best known, uh, queer memoir and, uh, very famously just made into a movie of the same name, which I went and saw on Monday. And this is an account of, um, Timothy Conagrave, who, um, was born in 1959 and went to Xavier College where he fell in love with John Kaleo, who was, who was his partner until um, they both died very tragically of mm. HIV AIDS. Oh. Um, Spoiler alert. 15 years later. The, oh. the book's been out for a long time. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> the book's been Some out for a while. Some of us don't read all the time, Jesse. <laughs> We're not all book club members like you. The play is one of Australia's longest running books. Uh, okay, all right. I see you're saying a lot of things without saying them. <laughs> Enough what you're putting down. That's okay. Shall we, uh, shall we tell me, tell me a little bit about it then? So, so Timothy and John both went to Xavier College here in Melbourne together, um, and fell in love and had a relationship that went through a lot of 
ups and downs, um, went through uh, jealousy, uh, non-monogamy, homophobia from family members, um, long distance, all of the great stuff that defines a romance. And um, now I think Nikki's going to read out a short passage from um, from the memoir. And this is uh, based when they were both still teenagers and only had just started going out. We were meeting the gang for dinner at Lebanese house. John rang and asked me to arrive half an hour before the others. He wants to talk. About what? He wants to adopt children? What? My God, he wants to break it off. My heart was in my mouth. My guts were going through their own personal snuff movie. As I turned into Russell Street, he was leaning against the front of the restaurant with his hands behind his back. He wore Bogart jeans, very trendy, a pressed short sleeve shirt and a bow tie. His hair was immaculate. He looked like a little boy whose mum had dressed him up for Sunday school. Jesus, what do I look like? Why the hell am I wearing my surf shirt? I should have worn my green green windsheeter. Relax. Walk slowly. Cool. Masculine. Act like nothing's wrong. (laughs) So, um, as you might have gotten from that passage, um, read so beautifully by Nikki, uh, they are teenagers in the 70s and um, grow up through the AIDS the AIDS crisis of the 80s. And I think it's probably um, the only account I've read of uh, HIV in Australia and how that played out. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many, many famous books and many famous films about um, the AIDS crisis unfolding in the 80s in America. Yeah. But not so many um, about here. So it's a really beautiful and tragic story. Um, and I saw the film... Um, on Monday night last week, which is what made me pick up the book, and I loved it. I was, and I, um, <laughs> that's great. I loved it. I was really, really moved. I was moved and I could not, uh, analyze it at all because I was so moved by it. It's like film. a Hallmark ad, you know yeah. what I mean? To just like really punch you in like, it really punched me in the guts. guts. Yeah. So I, I think it did so for a few reasons. So there have been some criticisms of the, the movie that's a little one note, it's a little messy. There are some cliched scenes and I totally understand that in a week later, but watching the movie, all of that just sort of washed over me and I was just left with the emotional devastation and, um, and the warmth and the beautiful uh, way that their relationship was portrayed. And I think that part of the reason was that um, it hit really close to home for me because I don't think there has been a high production gay Australian film in my adult life. That's a good point. I mean, there have been a lot of them made and especially short films. Mm. There have been some really good short films. Um, the shorts packages at MQFF and at MIF often have great queer content. Mm. But in terms of a feature length, especially one that's got like a general a, release, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I can't think of anything. Yeah. So, and, and, and this film was based in Melbourne. It's about two people who really did exist. Um, I grew up. Uh, sort of in the same upper middle class migrant background that mm. um, some of the characters did. I went and saw it with somebody who went to Xavier mm. and afterwards I said, how did you think the film was? And he said to me, you know what I didn't need? 
I didn't need any of that. I did not need any of the emotions that that brought up. I didn't need the gay adolescent panic. I didn't need the homophobia. Didn't need the AIDS stuff. None of it. You None guys it. definitely had an upper middle class upbringing that you're all like emotions. Why are we forced to feel them right now? <laughs> but like also we all just yeah, press no, that down. But what I mean is that the characters resonated with me a lot. I yeah. suppose, um, yeah. in a way that sort of bypassed all intellectual filters. So I do really recommend the the film. But the the book, I have to say, um, the memoir, which the film is based on, eh, I didn't love it so much. I was a really? little, I was pretty disappointed by it. Um, I mean, Timothy Conagrave wrote the book while dying in his thirties. Mm. So, you know, in in it's an incredibly honest and beautiful account. But um, it's maybe not as highly stylized as I like my writing. But that being said, I'd also just seen the film, which is obviously a very highly stylized, very compressed version of events. Mm -hmm. And it does traverse a 15-year period. So the film, you know, is able to do that with using a bunch of cinematic techniques in a Mm. way that the book isn't. Um, Mm. And the book uh, has a lot more detail in it. But... I did really like a lot of the book and I loved the film. Mm. And one of the things that I really loved about it was how unembarrassed it was about gay sex. Um, the book being, you know, the book being written in the seventies has a lot of, a lot, a lot of talk about spoof. <laughs> a great word. Yep. People are constantly spoofing the dacks in this book. Do they use the word stiffy in an erotic stiffy, context? Yep. Yes. He was dressed really horny. <laughs> See, that's different. I've never encountered that. Yeah. You're a horny dresser. So I'm going to bring it back. I really do like the Australian uh, vernacular yeah, that's used in yeah. it. And I like that a lot about the movie as well. Um, so I recommend, I do, I do think the book is worth reading because yeah. I think there are very, very few honest accounts of, um, of Australian life during the AIDS crisis. And it is really, really sad. Um, looking back now um, on how that unfolded and how many wonderful people were lost due to Mm. um, government inaction Mm. and just how horrible that was and and how much richer our lives would be today if um, people had been able to survive that. So uh, it is very sad, (laughs) but it's a beautiful film. The film is is really funny and warm and beautiful in a lot of parts, which I was really prepared to just cry my eyes from start to finish, but there were some really, really funny parts of the film. The two lead actors Mm. were great. um, Anthony LaPaglia was great as well. It was, I recommend it. it. I feel like I haven't seen a good, like, punch you in the guts gay movie in a while. Yeah. Something that did that for me, this is unrelated, but I did go, I watched, I remember watching Blue is the Warmest Color, and then I immediately went and read the graphic novel that that was based on, and was similarly so disappointed. (laughs) Well, not so disappointed, but, like, the graphic novel for that is terrible. I'm going to tell you, I hated that graphic novel. I haven't seen the film because when it came out, uh, I had was just going through a breakup and Nikki said, absolutely you cannot. (laughs) You know what you don't need? These emotions. (laughs) You can't watch this film. But I did read the graphic novel and I agree that that graphic novel is no good. It's no good. No No. French. Anyway, (laughs) that was a little... Le French? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is, you know, but okay, I, I really... But you know what? Sometimes things... You know, market value is determined by supply, and unfortunately, there's very, very little supply of uh, of good gay memoirs and good accounts of uh, good complex accounts of um, 
of gay and lesbian relationships. So I do recommend the film. I do recommend the memoir. Now we're going to listen to a track. I believe this is I'm a Reed, uh, and a language warning for this one. So if you don't like swears, maybe go out and have a cup of tea and come back in about five minutes. Listening to 3CR Radio. Bisexual Alliance is a non-profit organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people who are bisexual, people who are multi-gender attracted, their partners and their families. Bisexual Alliance runs several monthly discussion groups in and outside of Melbourne to offer support, a safe space to chat about your experiences and to explore others' experience of multi-gender attraction. These groups are for bisexuals, those who are questioning and their loved ones. For more information, visit bi-alliance.org or email info at by-alliance.org. Hey, and welcome back to Queering the Year. We just heard I'm a Read by Zebra Katz and Angina Red Fox. And today we've been talking all about queer literature. We had a chat about Pregnant Butch, the excellent uh, graphic memoir by A.K. Summers, uh, T.C. Boyle's The Inner Circle, this, which was a fictionalised account of uh, being in Alfred Kinsey's research team, and finally, Holding the Man by Timothy Conagrave, which was a great memoir, um, a really, really famous Australian book that is uh, a real punch in the guts emotionally. Which is sometimes just what you want, though. Mm. Sometimes it's good to a just... A good cathartic. Yeah. Just make a window of time. Yeah. You know, just close all your waspy windows and like <laughs> let your feelings flow free. You know, yeah. and just schedule it in. Sometimes, I, I have to admit, sometimes queer literature is a little too abundant in providing things to cry about. Same, That's true. Uh, in, this, in the same way that queer films are obviously as an account of homosexual life, which is often yeah. really, really hard, or um, bisexual life or trans yeah, life. It's a trajectory, though. Like, I think that, especially if you are talking about film, like, you look back and, like, a lot of the narratives initially were, like, there were a lot of like coming out stories and mm. like and now there's then there was like a lot of like agonizing like horrific like homophobia or like abuse stories mm. and and I think now that we are getting to a point where there's you know more diverse narratives out there and like stuff that just like celebrates being queer or like that being queer is like an adjunct to like but not necessarily like the focal point of like the whole movie is like your identity yeah. so i mean 
you know, I think that for kids that are growing up like now, like young kids, I think there's a lot more options for them in terms of like queer literature and like queer young adult literature and yeah. that kind of stuff. And like even like, um, you know, picture books and stuff for kids that are learning to read. And like, because of course there are so many, there's so much more awareness about the different formations that families can take and stuff. So absolutely. And yeah. that was something that really came through in the books that, um, I read and the inner circles really based around World War Two, um, holding the man's base in the seventies and eighties and, Pregnant butchers based around the early noughts, so around 2003. And even A.K. Summers makes a point in the preface for this reprint that, um, that it, it was published in 2013. So in those 10 years, queer life changed so much for people, mm. um, especially in America and here and in the UK. Um, it changed a lot. And so she was, she talked about how even just this story about 2003 seemed like a document like stuck in a certain time period that doesn't exist anymore Mm. um so you know progress is always happening change is always happening and it was um really great to read some books about queer life in the 20th century and sharing with us all your like hard-won knowledge (laughs) very hard one from the pages yeah Yep. I mean, you know, I feel like I've been almost convinced to give reading a go. If there's any lesson to take from today's episode, try reading, everyone. Yeah. But right. um, not before you listen to the radio instead. We're going to kick off with a wonderful final song. I'm so happy. We're going to listen to Kate Bush's Wuthering Heights. Thanks so much for joining us on Queering the Air today. Thanks, guys. Bye.